Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Glad to have you with us today, and it is an exciting day because, as we told you last time, today is the day we're starting a brand new series with Warren Litzman, and it is going to be terrific. The name of the series is Jesus, Just Jesus. And over the years, I can't tell you how many times I heard Warren say that. This is really going to be great. It's coming from a 2005 South African convention that Warren did. Now, one thing we wanted to tell you, we're trying something different this week. We're all one big family here, and we're going to try playing about an hour of this great series for you instead of shorter. I know that myself, each week I wish there was more, and we hope that this will be good for you. Let us know how you feel, if you like it longer or shorter, but we're going to get right into it right now. It's Jesus, just Jesus. Here's Warren. Now, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In preparing for this conference, the Holy Spirit would not let me get away from the simple fact that everything that is you, the world, the devil, times, places, humanity, everything that is, has to do with Christ. And until human beings learn that, they never are fulfilled human beings. So we're going to deal with God's plan during this conference on the basis of what God thinks, what I see in God's thoughts concerning His Son, Jesus Christ. There are two kinds of Christians. I'm sure you can think of a dozen under different labels, but there's really only two kinds of Christians. To me, a Christian is someone that has to do with God's plan one way or another. And I've narrowed it down to just two types of Christians. One type of Christianity are those who are in Christ and know it. Now, most Christians will say they're in Christ if they've had any Bible teaching at all. But I must go a step further. It's not just knowing that in Christ is a theme in the Scriptures but knowing the Christ that is in you. That's one kind of a Christian. These are Christians whose understanding of God is not based on anything that happened in the Scriptures primarily. Their relationship with God is based on God's plan before time started. Always remember that in the Christ life we have two pillars of strength that uphold the truth. The only two things that ever happened before time started as far as Christians are concerned are located for us in Ephesians 1 and 4. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And the other in 1 Peter where he says the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Those are the two pillars that uphold the gospel of Jesus Christ. Try to get that theme in your mind because I'm very strident on that one thought. That's what upholds the true gospel. Two verses of Scripture. 
what God planned for humans to be and what Jesus did to make that work at the cross. So the first type of a Christian is one that was planned by God before the world started. They are those that have come into God's rest. I was confronted this week from someone who is an ongoing believer who was really taken up with what uh, I think it's over in the fourth chapter of Hebrews where God was dealing with Israel, but he just out of the clear said, I swear I'm going to have some that enter into my rest. And so we were talking about that, and I thought, well, he fixed that. He's going to have some of his people, some that are Christians, some that are born again who enter into that rest. That's a type of Christianity that's not based on anything that's happened in the world with the exception of Christ's death at the cross. Nothing else matters in that understanding. That's the first kind of a Christian. These Christians are not presented as special or elite or more outstanding than any others because all Christians have been born again. All Christians, I assume, under that name are saved. That's an assumption I make, knowing that it's probably not so, but I can can assume that and give everybody the liberty of knowing that I don't say who's saved and who isn't saved. But I assume that everybody that calls themselves Christian have been born again. There are born-again people who are different. They are another type of people in their understanding and in their walk with God. These are the people who do not know God as their father as yet, but accept Adam as their father. They accept the human race and the message that belongs to the human race. I can never do that in Christ. So I'm separating two kinds of Christians. The Christians that bank on Adam are another type of Christian. They're born again. They'll go to heaven if they're saved. But they are a different type of people. I ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to just read one verse. The 45th verse in this 15th chapter says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. How do we have two Adams here? We have one Adam that's a failure. We have the last Adam that could not fail because he was the Son of God. If you'll go back to the earlier part of this chapter, to the 22nd verse, you'll see something that gives better understanding to the 45th verse. It says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. There is a gospel that belongs to people who follow Adam's line. These are Christian people who are wanting to straighten out Adam. They are wanting to get Adam converted. They are wanting to get Adam saved. They are wanting to get man saved. They are doing their dead-level best to get all the offsprings of Adam saved. Get them in church. Get them working for God. Not bad things, but a wrong gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is not man getting saved. It is not man getting straightened out. It is not man having himself better. The true gospel is that man no longer lives after the cross in God's plan. Paul would say, I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live. Yet it is not I that lives, it's Christ who lives in me. So we have two Gospels predominant in the world today. We have one Gospel of rest, where God swore He would have some people that enter into that rest. And you are the benefactors of God's swearing. Now, I've always made light of that term. I've always wondered what God would say when He swore. But it just says He swore. He swore He was going to have some people who entered into His rest. Those people could only be in Christ to have that rest. Because the people who are still working with humanity do not have rest. They never will have rest because you can't straighten out humanity with religion. You can't straighten out humanity with churchanity. You can get them to a place to where God's grace is sufficient and they're saved, they'll go to heaven, but they'll never be straightened out because it is not you that God is dealing with anymore. Try to get this, for this is the theme of my message. It is not God dealing with humanity anymore. He is only dealing with His Son. Where is His Son? His Son is in human beings. And that's where God deals in these days. There are two kinds of Christians then. There is one Christian who knows Christ is his salvation, his life. There is another Christian who knows Jesus has saved them, but he's outside of them. And the whole doctrine and theology of that religion is getting in touch with Jesus. Trying to get in touch with Him. Having enough faith for Jesus to come on the scene. Getting enough faith to where the Lord will bless you. Having enough power so you can overcome. Wonderful message. I preached it for years. But it's not the true gospel. It is a gospel, but it's not the true gospel. The difference in this is, either Jesus is in you, or He's outside of you. If He's in you, then there's nothing you can do to be pleasing to God within yourself. If Christ is still outside of you, and you're trying to live for Him and be more like Him, you've got a hard life to live. Because you never do work out just right. You never do match up just right. There's always something else. If you went into a Christian bookstore, you would see that the majority of books that are being sold are books to try to help the Christian through the Christian life. You just write a good book today that will touch somebody's psychic, somebody's psychological life, somebody's need in life, and it'll be snapped up. But you see, that's for people who don't know Christ is their life. You have never been saved by a Jesus outside of you. We're going to deal with this Scripture later. I think it's over in... Romans 5 and uh, 10, somewhere in there. You have not been saved by a life outside of you. Paul will say you have been saved by Christ in you. That's a different gospel. And so during this conference, my theme is based on this one person who makes the difference. Christ. He's all. For those of you that have been studying the Christ life, you will see that this whole center of attention in Christ is based on two words. 
And you Bible students need to get these two words marked in your Bible. If it's Christ in you, the Scripture will always refer to that as before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation. Try to get that fixed in your mind because that's what divides people as to whether they're going to go on with the Lord or not. Are we going to pick up what God's original plan was before He ever created Adam, before He ever created a world? Before the creation of the world. Ephesians 1.4 Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's important. But on the other hand, you have another gospel. It's Christ for you. That's good. In fact, Paul one time says Christ died for our sins. Only once he says that. But tied into his context, it does not obliterate this. Christ for you, however, is a gospel that comes from the foundation of the world. You see the difference? What is from the foundation of the world? That's getting Adam straightened out. That's the gospel where everybody's got something wrong with them, and we're going to work on you till we get you straightened out. We're going to deal with your needs and your problems. Maybe you've been in a religion like that where their whole intent was to <coughs> work on you. And have you noticed something? It's hard to get people delivered when they're working on themselves. Have you ever had a problem and you just worked on it and prayed about it and found all kinds of Scripture to go with it and then before you knew it, it popped up? Spontaneous? You really hadn't got it dealt with before. I deal with a lot of alcoholics. We've got a lot of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, groups that have come to the understanding of this message now and it's really helping them. And the thing that helps them is that they couldn't get alcoholics free. They get them free for a little while but they never got them completely free because they were always putting the weight on them. Now, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. And they never got a gospel that there's something that's finished. There's something that's done. There's something that God did when you were saved that is different. So you have, you have two kinds of gospels here. You can never come to understand what God is saying and what He's doing until you come to the understanding that you have to rightly divide the Scriptures. When you read your Bible, you need to be conscious that the Bible makes two kinds of people. And where you read in your Bible is where that's determined. If you spent all your time reading in Paul's epistles, you would not know anything but the in Christ position because he doesn't talk about anything else. However, if you read something from James or some of Peter's writings or some of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would see that there was another gospel. Wording was different. Understanding was different. My purpose in dealing with you is to bring you to a place of living that I think God intended. There is that place. The Bible plainly speaks of it. But at a certain juncture, people who handle the Scriptures do not get free of their self-indulgence and their self-righteousness and their self-effort. And so ministries especially keep bringing you back to the same problem they have. I've, I've got to do this myself. I've got to get a hold of God myself. I've got to get you full of faith so you can get your miracle. I've got to do things to help you. When all of the time, God has put you in another position. 
but you don't know how to live it because your mind is fouled up. The text that I sent you to says that Adam was given to make a living soul. Salvation for the soul is the hardest part of Christianity because finally salvation of the soul depends on you and your love affair for the Christ that's in you. Salvation of the soul never determines your eternal life. It determines your love for Christ. That's soulish. Mind, will, emotion. Your soulish part, Paul would say, determines how much you love Christ. So that's where you have the battle. As Paul would say, the battle between flesh and spirit is there because that's where your love affair is. We must finally say that there are multitudes of people who don't really love God very much. Christian people. They just don't love God very much. You've all dealt with somebody who you thought, I thought they were really genuine. I thought they were really saved. I thought they were really on fire for the Lord. What's happened to them? They were. They could do all of those things in emotion and will. But the one thing they didn't get corrected was their mind. They never got settled who they really were. So, we come to a place where the two Gospels become very important. In fact, you'll hear me on other occasions say there are many Gospels in the Scripture, much to the uh, dislike of theologians because they still preach there's only one Gospel there. But there are probably many Gospels there if you wanted to look at it as good news. But the simple facts are it's very hard to get the mind changed to see who you are in Christ. In Christ. Every one of us have come up to some avenue, some uh, state of understanding. Somebody taught us. Somebody gave us information. It's usually real good people, people you love. You, you didn't take anything from anybody you didn't like. You only took what you took as a part of your understanding from somebody you really cared for, somebody you really liked. But what that did for you was to fix you so that you got it in your mind, I got it all fixed. I'm really at the point now to where I ought to be. And when you come to that place, it's wonderful that you're not where you were, you moved on. But it's also bad because you're getting fixed in that place that this is it. I call that boxed-in religion. You're in a box. Most people who go to church buildings get in a box. Not all, but many of them get in a box because I used to be a box builder. I know just exactly what they are. They get in a box, and the box grows. The longer they're there doing the works in self-effort and the longer they're helping to spread the gospel and giving their money and building buildings and seeing things, the box gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, one day, self-effort becomes a pain in the neck. I'm just tired, Lord. I don't want to do any more. I'm worn out. I've given my money. I've helped them win souls. I've built this church building with this preacher. 
I've done all these things and I'm just tired and worn out. I don't like it anymore. And so they're at a point to where they're about to jump out of the box. I don't ask people to do that. So that's not why I'm talking about it. But I'm laying a foundation for what it is I need you to get a hold of during this week. Get out of the box. How do you get out of the box? It just gets bigger and bigger. Your loved ones are there. You stay there for years. You've got your grandchildren there. You've got your relatives there. You've won souls that are there. It's just hard. And yet you know that there's something you need. There's something wrong. There's something that's not right. What's happening? The Holy Spirit in you is bringing a burden on you to go on in the Lord. That's right. You to go on in the Lord. Not you to be on the team to do great things, but you as God's child to move on in the things of the Lord. You were created to be an ongoing believer. God never has had a plan where He intended somebody stop. This is what we believe. This is what when I was a Baptist, this was a predominant thing. This is what we believe. This is our doctrine. Uh, this is our baptism. This is our church membership. If you don't like it, get out. But if you're going to go to heaven with us, get in it. You're in the box. Sooner or later, every born-again believer is going to be dealt with by the Holy Spirit as to what Christ means to you. Somewhere along the way, you're going to come in contact with somebody like me who's going to say, hey, Christ is not out there. He's not up there. Ever since you're saved, He's in you. He lives in you. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. He's been there ever since you've been saved. He's been through all the church problems with you. He's been through all the arguments with you. He's been through all the times you sinned. He's never left you nor forsaken you. He was birthed in you. You're not going to get rid of Him. He claimed you as His own. And He's going to fix it so that's what you are. So now the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life. You just got hungry. You may have gotten disgruntled with the messages you were hearing. Well, I read something in the Scripture. Why don't you ever preach on that? Why don't you ever go in this direction? You ever watch a preacher? One that's in the, the Adamic type gospel where we're trying to get all Adam's children saved and fixed up to look nice. They'll be reading along in the Bible and they'll come right to a Scripture that may be something the Holy Spirit's dealing with you on and you know what? They skip that Scripture or stop before it. You ever have that to happen? Well, I don't want to go on and talk about this next verse of Scripture. Well, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit this message. It doesn't fit the salvation of the soul. If that's all you've got. If you don't see Christ in you, then all that's left is straightening out human beings. Get them straightened out. If you don't preach Christ joined to a human spirit, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. If you don't preach that, then all you've got left to preach is straightening them out. Try to fix them so they look right and smell right, do right. Straighten them out. That's the gospel of the law. They still know nothing about grace. So getting out of the box isn't uh, an easy thing. There, there are two ways to get out of the box. One way is to become so obnoxious where you are that they kick you out. That's really the quickest way to get out of the box. 
And I could ask for a show of hands here, and I expect I could get several. That's one way to get out. But the other way to get out is that the Holy Spirit makes you hungry to know God. What He's really doing, you'll never know God completely. Nobody does. Don't take any theologian's word for it. They'll never know God completely. He's so far above our little peanut of a mind, we'll never grasp it, even throughout eternity. But what it is, you get hungry to know about who you are. Who am I? Am I moving on in the Lord? Am I an ongoing believer where I can't be stopped? What's happening to me? Are you hungry to know the Christ that's in you? That's how you get out of the box. You get hungry. And somehow, God always leads people. I had a minister to ask me not long ago uh, who has a, a sale ministry. They, his denomination has sales all around. And so he asked me, he said, you have the sale ministry. I said, well, you could call it that. We're just a fellowship around the world. He said, how many of those you have? Well, I said, I never counted them. There are hundreds of them. He said, what do you mean? I said, it's just simple. Every time a hungry heart wants to know God, somehow they come in contact with this message. Somebody in South Africa sends a piece of literature to somebody in New Zealand. That's it. They're hooked. Or to Japan. Or to Singapore. Or to some place in Europe. Even some place in America. They really need help there. You understand me? How does a true gospel spread? It spreads by hunger for God. Not to do things. This group over here thinks that they can get more Christ the more they do. They can have a few more miracles. They can get a few more blessings. They get a bigger crowd. They build a bigger building. But that's still an outside Christ. He's not in them. He's there. But they don't know Him. They don't know Him yet. So you get out of the box by your hunger for God. What is hunger for God? It's very simple. It's not doing great things. It's not performing miracles. It's not having great faith. Hunger for God is wanting to know the Christ that is already in you. For there is no salvation outside of Christ in you. Is that simple? So what Jesus do you need to know? Well, most people study Jesus of Nazareth. I did. When I was in the healing ministry, I picked out every time Jesus performed a miracle. And I went to town on it and I preached it and I said, that's it. That's the gospel. That's what we need. That's what we need faith for. We need to do that. That wasn't the gospel. That was a message that come under the kingdom. That was a kingdom message, but it wasn't the gospel. That wasn't the final gospel. So the issue comes now, have you been led of the Spirit? You see, I believe the Holy Spirit's in every one of you. He's not Christ. The Holy Spirit's in your soulish part. Christ lives in your spirit. The Holy Spirit's there to teach you. Where do you need teaching? In your spirit part? No, you need teaching in your soulish part. Because that's where the love affair is. That's where you fall in love with this Christ that's in you. So how do you get led of the Spirit? I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 1. I want us to look beginning at the 12th verse. 
I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known Him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known Him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. What we have, didn't I say first? Oh, it is two. Is it two? You're right. 1 John 2. Thank you. Did you get it? Read it. What is given to us here? Given to us here are the three levels of understanding. Three levels of understanding. One of them is the child level, where somebody else teaches you. Now, that's not always so. Believe it or not, I've had people to come to me who were not saved and said, I read my Bible often and I see just what you're talking about. Well, I'm bewildered because 90% of Christians read it and don't get it. They don't get it. But I have somebody unsaved, or maybe it's somebody that's far out, a, a, a person who has never lived an overcoming life. Maybe they're saved, but they've never overcome. And they say, I've always seen those things and don't know what to do about it. The first level is a child level where somebody else teaches you. And that's where we need to be most careful. I'm an old-fashioned believer today that if you're going to win souls, win souls on the basis of Paul's teaching. What does he say? He'll say that the great mystery must be understood. That if you don't understand the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, if you don't understand that, there's no sense getting into Christianity. Give them the gospel. Give them the true gospel. Tell people that are unsaved that you can never be a completed human being without Christ in them. Start them out right. So the child level depends on who's teaching. The second level was the son level. And the biggest thing about the son level was they learned to have power over the devil. Have you gone through that phase? That's a phase. They learned to have power over the devil. Well, Satan... How can he be taken care of by anything we do when he's been God's servant ever since he was kicked out of heaven and put on this earth? He has only done what God allowed him to do. As far as you and I are concerned, the devil was taken care of at the cross. Why do I say that? Because there's another level of understanding. That level is that you're at the Father level and you know from the beginning You know from the beginning. What is it you know? That at the beginning, before the foundation of the world was laid, God spoke His plan to Paul. From the beginning. What did that plan have to do with? It has to do with Christ in you. It has to do with Jesus. Just Jesus. Nothing else. 
For you to be what God intends that you be, you need nothing but Jesus and the knowledge that He is you to God. That's a mouthful. You'll never learn all that means in a lifetime. We'll still be studying Christ as our life when we get to heaven. Because that's the final level of understanding. The Father goes back to the beginning. The Son's out here in the present fighting the devil. The babe in Christ is dependent upon other teachers. Fix yourself in that. But aim at the Father level of understanding. Because the Father level of understanding takes us all the way back before the foundation to the beginning. So the beginning of God's plan is not the creation of the world. The beginning of God's plan is not the creation of Adam and Eve. If you have a gospel based on that, then that gospel is secondary. But the gospel is based before the foundation of the world on Jesus Christ, the life of the created human being. That's the message I'd like to get across to you. What we learn in our journey very often is from the Holy Spirit who teaches us. If you're an ongoing believer, and by the use of the term ongoing, which has become a favorite term of mine because I found out most believers are not ongoing. Most believers are stopped somewhere. Most believers are at a point to where they say, I don't want to... And they tell me this. They say, Litzman, I don't want to know any more. I don't want any more Scripture opened up to me. I don't want any more understanding. I got just what I want, and I'm going to go to heaven on it. I won't argue with that. But that's not much of a love affair, is it? That's like a husband and a wife. They're married... And neither one of them want to know each other. They're going to live all life not knowing each other. Is that possible? Sure it is. There are plenty of husbands and wives that don't know much about each other. They just brave it and take it and go on. But a believer in Christ doesn't have to do that. They can come to know about this Jesus that's in them. And we have plenty of Scripture that opens that up to us and takes us into that. Because coming to that is coming to the understanding of who you are. My first point to you then is that you'll never know who you are if you don't know this Christ that's in you. You can know all about Jesus of Nazareth and never know Christ in you. Most Christians are like that. But it's only when you come to know about the Jesus that has been birthed in you by your Heavenly Father that you're able to come to the place that God intends. What's happened to us technically is that modern religion has been so intent on there being just one gospel. And you know, I've read that for years, but I never understood it and understand it less today. And the reason I make a point of that, when Jesus talked to the Apostle Paul and gave him the final gospel written in this book, it had nothing to do with anything that had gone on before. It talked about the beginning. It talked about in Christ. 
It talked about the cross, and no other writer does that in the New Testament. So, when I hear people say there's just one gospel, stick with it. What they've done is cut out Paul's distinctive message. And so a distinctive thing happened in Paul's life. It's in Acts 28, 28. You don't have to turn to it. You put it in your notes if you want to. But in Acts 28, 28, Paul says that the gospel no longer goes to Israel. Israel is deaf, dumb, and blind. There is no more gospel to go to them. And that's the way it has been. For 2,000 years, there has been no distinctive message to Israel. For instance, Israel could believe everything she wanted to out of the tabernacle, out of the Old Testament, out of all Israel's journeys and miracles, but it meant nothing because God said, You rejected My Son, who is your Messiah. So I'm going to set you aside. And He said, From now on, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. You've got to get that in your understanding to know about the Christ that lives in you. Because that gospel was not like any other gospel. That gospel was not like any other thing said. Only about four times does Jesus of Nazareth even veer on the subject of the in Christ position. He does. He speaks of it at least four times. But He never goes into detail because the man who is to bring that gospel is yet to be raised up. There will be no one existing who has gone through all of the gospel that was in the Old Testament, who will be used. There will be a new man raised up, and that's the Apostle Paul, and he will have the message of how God deals with humanity. He'll have the message about this Christ. Not a new Jesus, same Jesus, but in a different place. He's no longer outside the believer. He's in the believer. He's not the Holy Spirit. He's the life of the believer, God's Son, making every believer a son or child of God. Acts 28 is a turning point. After Acts 28, there's no more kingdom message. Many people continue to preach the kingdom message today because they like the doer religion. And it's a self-indulgent because I never knew anybody that preached the kingdom message that wasn't interested in being an important self unto themselves. But now with Christ in all of us, There's no need for the kingdom message because the kingdom message will have nothing to do for this group of people that God birthed. The kingdom message belongs to Israel and those in the millennium and the end time who will not be rebirthed by God. Right now, it's the rebirthed ones that have Christ in them. Right now, the seed of God is in born-again believers. That's a different group of people and they have a different gospel. They have Christ in them and they're waiting to get off this earth. Not as the kingdom message says, trying to straighten out this earth. Acts 28.28 is an important aspect of the message. We have a brand new establishment of this message of Jesus living in the believer. Several verses. One of the prime verses is 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 where Paul says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He's not anything that's been like that before. He's not like a prophet in the Old Testament. He's not like a disciple of Christ or an apostle of Christ. 
He's not like any of those. Those, some of them came to have Christ in them, but never preached it in the record. But he's talking about a whole new existence of Christ in human beings. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He's not a better Jew. He's not an Israelite. He's not a Jew. He's not a barbarian. He's not a Scythian. He's not a German or a South African or a anybody. He's of no race on this earth. That belongs to this gospel. You notice what the message is today? Everybody in this gospel is trying to get it down to where the whole religious world cooperates together. Does that make you feel good? I wouldn't like to be in a room full of them. With Jesus in me, I think he'd be out of place. So he's got a new race of people. He's got a new group of people. Jesus is the center of that. It's Christ alive on this earth today in human beings. This was a gospel that was established at Calvary. God's great intention was to place all of His birth children in a new sphere of living. Now see, what's happened to you and I is that we've got an old mind that we're trying to fit to a new creation life. You understand that? That's what I battle. In my lifetime, that'll be my biggest battle in getting this message to people, trying to change their old mind to fit this new creation life. See? That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to change their mind. That's what Paul said. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. You have the mind of Christ, he says. He's made all these statements because he knew the battle was in the mind. Trying to get it straightened out. But it's just like this. Every one of you sitting in this room that's born again have Christ in you. The only Son God has. The only person of Jesus of Nazareth is in you. Nobody jumps up and down and shouts over that. You scratch your head and say, well, I guess that's the way it's always been. No. This is a new and fresh understanding that comes from the beginning. That Christ is in you and you need a change in your mind to affect it. You need that change. How did Paul go about making this change? He made Christ predominant in every single thing he dealt with. The in Christ position was the center. So Paul taught that we were all poured in Christ in Gethsemane. Or Christ was the vehicle that would carry us with our sin to the cross. We were in Christ in Gethsemane. That was a cup. He drank it and Peter would say, that in his own body he bore our sins and transgressions. Isaiah would say it also. In his body. We all were poured into that body that was given to him by Mary. The Mary body. Carried our sins. That's important. 
That's what, that, that's what you started out in. You started out as a Christian in the body of Christ. In His body. With all your sin and filth and shortcomings, you were poured into His body. He didn't want that to be a misuse in any way because that was the cold, hard plan of God for the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. First big thought God had about saving people. Now, if it is to take place, Jesus wants to make sure, so He prays. Three times in His ministry He prays. God, if it be willing, remove this cup from me. Because He was in Jerusalem three times, and the last time He was in Jerusalem He prayed, if it be Your will, Father, remove this cup from me. God didn't remove it. He drank the cup, and so the sin of the world went into His body. Your sin, my sin. That's first in Christ's position. There you are. What's happening to your sin? Something that you do, you wrestle with? You take courses to get rid of the awful things in your life? You buy books to overcome the awful things in your life? You go to meeting after meeting, somebody lays hands on you, you're trying to get rid of the awful things in your life? You're a Christian even. I used to have these big prayer lines, hundreds of people in them. And they all had something wrong with them. They'd give anything for just to be wiped out and taken away. I didn't know at that time that every problem and every need and every hard thing happening in their life was poured into the body of Christ in Gethsemane. I don't think people know that today. I think people today are still fighting that battle. I've got to get over this thing. I got to get victory over this. I got to get somewhere where the, a lady called me on the phone not long ago, and she said there's a big meeting going to take place in Los Angeles. She was over in Georgia, and she said, "Pray for me that I have the strength to get to that big meeting in Los Angeles so I can get my healing." What am I going to say to her? I didn't want to hurt her. She's a dear heart, but she had based all her plans on that. She went, nothing happened. She came back home. And then it was, I was able to tell her, I just want to tell you before you take another trip that Jesus goes with you every step of the way living in that decrepit, sick body of yours. She didn't know Jesus. Not the Jesus that was real to her. Not the Christ that lived in her. She didn't know that. You understand what I'm saying? You're not walking around separated from Christ, not if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ one day before. No, He's there. He's in you. He was poured into you. It was Christ. You are in Him in Gethsemane. The sin of the world is in Him. We've been fighting needless battles because He bore it all. Whatever's wrong with you today was in His body. You, you with your sin was in His body. So what is the next thing the Scripture says? He goes to the cross. He's crucified. What does Paul say about it? I am in His body. I am crucified with Christ. See how simple it is? I'm crucified with Him. I'm in that body. 
He's not dying on that cross because He did something wrong. He's dying on that cross because I'm in Him. I'm in Him. My life is in Him. Every nail that's driven is driven into Him because of me. Every drop of blood He sheds is because of me. Me. When He died, I died. Romans 6. His death is my death. How many things are you still fighting that died in that dead body? How many things happen to you every day? You say, oh God, I wish I hadn't done that. Christians lose their temper. They need to get over it. Quit it. Because that died on the cross. You carry it around. You're saying, Jesus, I don't love you. Bless God, I love my temper. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell people off every chance I get. Or somebody says, i got this bad habit. I'm not about to quit this bad habit. I can't quit it. i got reasons for continuing. But that was in His body. That was crucified on the cross with Him. You have a hard time getting over your habits because you've still got Him outside of you. You haven't really fallen in love with Him enough. You understand what I'm saying? You know why people who have habits have a hard time getting over them? It's because they love themselves so much they can't stand to suffer the pain of that addiction. That same love they give to themselves would give them a new life if they loved Jesus as much. They don't really love Him. It's a love affair. Christianity is a love affair. Christianity is not a bunch of people running around with signs saying we're it, we're saved, believe in us and we'll take you to heaven. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not getting people healed and set free. That was under the, under the kingdom message. The kingdom message is not, I think, involved in God's plan today. Many people are and they're doing some good things. But I don't think that's the gospel. That's not Paul's message. What is the message? The message is that Christ is birthed in believers. Peter would say, being born again, not of the corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed, Christ. That's a Christian. He's been rebirthed. There you are, hanging on the cross with Him. I know people can't stand that. They can't stand to think of it. But that's you. What is good in that? Only when you see the price He paid will you hate the thing that separates you in love from the Christ that is in you. Only when you hate it enough. You say, I thought He took all that away. Yep, it is. The old man is dead. To God, he's dead. But the battle you fight is in your mind. It's in your mind. You're in Him, in His burial. That's the best part of this story. When He was put in the 
tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, he was dead. There was no more life. We talk about Easter. Him coming out of the grave alive at Easter. That was such a big point in the early church age that they rejected everybody that didn't believe in the resurrection of Christ. What they didn't get was that when Christ came out of the grave, so did every believer who would accept Christ as their Savior come out of the death of their old man and their old life. They didn't get it. So we have a revolutionary gospel today that's telling us how to straighten up, how to do right, how to live. A good preacher hits you over the head two or three times to get his point across. Why do we do that? Why is that done? It's because they don't know Jesus. The Christ that lives in them. The Christ that is them, that makes them a Christian. They don't know Him. They don't know He's there. He comes out on the resurrection morning. Who came out free of sin? Jesus? Yeah. But there was no sin in Jesus. It all died. Go through Paul's epistles and see all the times that you died and sin died and self died. That's why when God deals with you, dear friends, He's not dealing with somebody that's alive in sin. He's dealing with a soul that hasn't fallen in love with the Christ that's in them and a mind that hasn't accepted Christ as their life. So what do we have? We have this very ominous thing in the Gospel Paul gives us. That all that happens to us has to do with Christ. Nothing has happened to you that had to do with you. God never asked you when you were saved if He could rebirth you. Because nothing happened to you. On the cross, God took care of your past and your sin. Nothing has happened on your part. You didn't have anything to do with any of it. And you still don't. It's the cross. It's at the cross. It's the death of Jesus as you. It's the resurrection of Christ as you. That's most important. And then finally, when he ascended and went back to glory, Paul could not find a point of separation from this Jesus. The disciples were sad because they stood there on the Mount of Translation and saw Jesus sail into the heavens. But Paul never got that. Paul said when he ascended, we were still in Him. We went with Him. So that in Ephesians 1, He'd say, all our blessings are spiritual blessings from on high. They are spiritual blessings from on high. All our blessings are spiritual blessings from on high. Why? That's where we're seated with Christ. You ever stop to wonder why we're not getting things from the Lord like we want to? we got great faith, but we're not getting things from God. 
It's because our spiritual blessings are seated with Christ in heavenly places. What does all this mean? I'm leading you to a new sphere of living. Trying to get your mind to see what God has done. There are many of you here who feel like God needs to do something for me. I need this. I need that. No, you need to know who you are by this Christ in you. There is a whole other sphere of living. There is a whole new understanding of this way of living. If you never come to it, then you're going to always be over here trying to get something better. What better could you have than understanding you're in Christ? I was dealing with somebody the other day who had a relative that was dying. And they said, what do we tell this relative? Tell them they're in Christ. Tell them they're in Christ. That they're never going to be separated from Christ. That death is not a separation. It's a new beginning. Tell them that they're never separated from Christ. The Christian life is Christ. It's just Christ. It's not something else. It's not churches. It's not preachers. It's not programs. It's not signs, wonders, and miracles. Christianity is Christ. See, I'm all wound up over that. People won't argue with me about this message. I say, hey, you're talking about the same Christ that's in you. Be careful what you say. I never let people argue in my presence. They say, well, I don't understand something you said. I said, sit a little longer. You will in time. You'll understand everything I say in time. Don't be in such a big hurry. In fact, I told somebody the other day, don't argue with me unless you can prove to me you know what I'm talking about. And I'm going to tell you, you're not going to come to this new mind of this Christ in you overnight. You may watch hundreds of videos, and there are still hundreds or more to see. Because you're stepping into the wisdom of God. You're stepping into a whole new understanding. That's why Paul prayed for believers to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. You understand that? That's what we don't have is the wisdom and the understanding of what's happened to us. Churchanity isn't going to bring it. Ministries are not going to bring it. You're going to have to get it out of the Scriptures. You're going to have to go to the Word and let the Word talk to you about these things. If you knew about the Christ that was in you... I jotted something down the other day. I said believers that have Christ in them are fireproof. They're fireproof. They're original sin proof. See, what you don't understand about yourself and this Jesus that's in you is that the original sin that separated you from God died on the cross. That sin died. You can't commit it again. That's the sin of Adam. That's the sin that made you like Adam. That was a part of the human race sin. That's the old sin nature. That died on the cross. But John comes back after he says this and says that if any man saith he hath no sin, he lies and the truth is not in him. He's not talking about Adam's sin there. He's talking about your ignorance, your sin, your failure, your bad choices. 
Yeah, you're going to have that all the way through. You're going to have sins of the flesh. But your original sin proof now can't bother you anymore. You can never stand before God and have God point a finger at you like He will at the judgment seat at the end. For people will stand before Him who have not caught what He did and understood His Son. So your sin nature proof, your self proof. You think God has some confidence in yourself? How have you talked to God? I caught myself doing this not long ago. I caught myself saying, God, I did my dead level best here. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, it's not worth a penny. Yep. Not worth anything. I said to God lots of times, Oh, Lord, I did, I did the best I could to help those people. Look what happened. He said, Some of them are my children. Let me worry about them. You just keep doing what you're supposed to do. I, I have to learn Him, you see. It's a, new, it's a new way of living. Christianity is not this old way of living that, that we're going to get everybody straightened out. Everybody's going to be one in the Lord. There's going to be a great unity. No such thing. The unity is in the finished work of the cross. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who don't believe in the cross. If you'd ask me who wouldn't make it, they're the ones. Because the cross is where God did the final act to get Him some children of His own. So you're, you're, you're self-proof. What you do as a self really doesn't matter to God. What matters is what you do as Christ in your life. Crossing that bridge from you being it to Christ being it will cost you your life. Most Christians don't want to pay that price because they don't have a gospel to go along with it. Your self-proof. A lot of things you are, but the last one I mention is your Satan-proof. He has no designs on you anymore. I ran into a Christian the other day who was telling me how much Satan was following them. He said, everywhere I go, the devil's after me. See, that's the old lingo. That's the old language of the old way of living. That's trying to get man straightened out. What he didn't know was that he's Satan-proof. Jesus is not going to have any more battles with the devil. He put Him down once and for all at the cross. You understand that? He's not going to have any more battles with the devil. You're going to have them because you're ignorant. How are you ignorant? That the devil doesn't have power? That the devil can't hurt you? No, that's not where your ignorance is. He does have power. And he can't hurt you. You're ignorant because you don't know who you are in Christ. You're ignorant because you don't know Jesus is there. He's Satan poison like rat poison is to a sniffing rat. When the devil sees Jesus, he's licked. Believe that. Accept that. Don't run around all your life blaming everything on the devil. You're Satan proof. Christ is not outside of you. He's not leaving you there to fight the devil all by yourself. He's in you. He is the real you to God. 
Get that fixed. Fixed in your life. What does this bring us to? This brings us finally to the fact that Christ in you brings about a perfection in your life you've never had before. Think about all the things you're not perfect in. You ladies, you probably never had perfect hair. You never had perfect uh, weight. Uh, you will never have perfect age. Always something wrong. Same with the men. Always something wrong. But you know what? God's intention was to have perfect children, and He has them. Everyone He has birthed is perfect to Him, even with all of their failings, problems, sins, and ignorance. They're His children. Don't you see why He's still working in your life? People come to me and they say, well, I've been serving God for years, but I'm having a hard time now. So I say to them, get up and move on in the Lord. Use this as a time to grow. That's what God wants. You're one of His children. Let's grow up a little. Grow up in the things of the Lord. Be an ongoing believer. He's got perfect children. You're perfect because Christ in you is what God recognizes as your life. I no longer live. Christ liveth in me. You got that fixed in you? Galatians 2.20 I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Get that fixed in your mind. That's the starting place. I'm not saying that. And you can't say it and make it so. But God says Christ lives in you. You're perfect. You stand perfect before God. Perfect in Him. Christ has been made unto you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1.30 That's what Christ is in you. Your problem is your mind won't let that be so. Let your mind say, Christ is my righteousness and I stand righteous before God. He is my righteousness. I stand righteous before God. Why do I put it like that? Because in the Old Testament, under the kingdom, nobody ever got righteous. They were always working on it. But in my spirit, I'm righteous before God, and that's the real me to God. I'm righteous before Him. If I stand perfect before God, then it's His righteousness, Christ's righteousness. Not me, it's Christ. I'm trying to get it across to you. It's not me that's righteous. It's Christ. If you look to me and say, oh, he's a righteous person, you're degrading my life. Listen to me. You're degrading my true life. You're saying to the Jesus in me that he's not right. He's not perfect. He's not what he ought to be. When Paul says, he is made unto me righteousness. You've got to get that in your thinking. Husbands and wives need to start it. That's the best place to start it because that's where one thinks the other is righteous. But if they're born again, make the other righteousness by Christ's righteousness. Make it so. Do it. Do it in relationships. 
When you start seeing righteousness in others by Christ, they'll start seeing righteousness in you. That doesn't get rid of your problems in your soul, but that's the way we ought to live by our mind, knowing Christ lives in us, that He is indeed our life and our all. When the Apostle Paul came into this revelation, he made some drastic steps. About three years before he had this revelation, he was tied up with some of the early church believers in Pentecostal. In Pentecostalism, to call it that. He worked with them. He preached with them. His message, he said in his own words, was that he preached Jesus resurrected from the grave. That was his message. He didn't know anything about the Christ life at that time. But he knew that there was something missing. And when he had a revelation of Christ as his life, a marvelous thing happened. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he goes into detail about the ministries that people have. Men's ministries. And then when he gets over into chapter 13, he does an awesome thing based on his new knowledge. He says that men's ministries are only a part. That the best of their ministries, tongue-talking, prophecy, knowledge, is only a part. A part of what? Not perfect. Not what it ought to be. Until that which is perfect has come. What was it that was coming that was perfect, that the early church didn't have? It was the knowledge that Christ was their life. So they were all running around saying, oh, this brother has this gift, this brother has that gift, this brother over here highly gifted. That's why the early church ceased to be when Paul's ministry took hold. It began to demise. And the reason was, Paul was going to take people from their ministries to Christ in them life. That's an awesome step. Until that which is perfect has come. That was an awesome thing for him to deal with. Until that which is perfect has come. How did he deal with that? Well, I'm going to tell you, it was no passing thing with the Apostle Paul. I'm going to give you Scriptures. You want to jot them down. I'm going to read them real quickly. These are Scriptures where Paul says, after the revelation, the believer is perfect. Now, you need a King James Bible for this if you ever look it up. But here are the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 2 and 6. Philippians 3 and 15. Colossians 1 28. Colossians 4 and 12. Hebrews 13 and 21. 2 Timothy 3 and 17. Well, that's a lot of Scripture. What? I did what? Oh, fast. Is that what you... You don't think I went too fast. (laughs) Once again, 1 Corinthians 2 and 6. Philippians 3 and 15. Colossians 1 and 28. Colossians 4 and 12. Hebrews 13 and 21. 2 Timothy 3 and 17. If you didn't get those, your neighbor next to you did. Don't ask me for them. Religion has argued over a 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians 
for 2,000 years. They didn't get Paul's message. When Paul said, when that which is perfect has come, he's talking about there will be a perfect man that resides in the believer. It's Jesus. That's what's perfect. Men's ministries aren't perfect. Human beings in ministry are not perfect. Paul says the very best of them are just partly there. Did God use these ministries? Yep, for a while He used them in the early church. And those people had Christ in them too because you couldn't be saved after the day of Pentecost except Christ be in you. But they didn't know it. They didn't know it. And Paul had to tell them that what we're having is just partly right. That which is perfect is yet to come. And all of these verses tell us about the perfect man. So study them. Get it fixed in your mind. Because that's the revolution that takes place in grace. In grace, it is no longer man alive. It's Christ alive in man. It's a different gospel that necessitates that. A different thing has to happen. So what God has done is move us from the self-life. Are you looking for a ministry? Is it left to you to go out and find some ministry or somebody lay hands on you and give you a ministry and then go out in that ministry and ask Jesus to help you when you ignored Him from the beginning? Think of all the things we ask Jesus to do when He's in us and we ignore Him. That's a mind change. You've got to get it fixed in your mind. Your regular vocabulary is going to have to change. This isn't you that came down to this meeting. It was Christ as you that came. It isn't you that drove the car. It's Christ as you. You've got to change your way of thinking because that's what a Christian is. Oh, you say, if we do that, nobody will like us. They don't like you anyhow. The world doesn't like us. It never will like us. And things are coming to a head in America. We're about to lose every semblance of Christianity in America. Our liberal crowd is taken to court. We can't even use our Constitution where it has the word God or Creator in it. Every man is created with inalienable rights by God. They're taking that out of our Constitution. Our pledge to allegiance is uh, we're one nation under God. They've taken God out of it. Can't say that anymore. Kids can't have special holidays in school anymore where they mention God. They cut out Christmas programs. All our state colleges have cut out everything that has to do with Christmas. Our department stores this past Christmas never used the word Christmas. It's now a happy holiday. They cut it out. So don't get real smart I'm just talking to you. Don't think you're getting real smart by saying, well, I'm not going to act like a Christian. I'm not going to be a Christian. You better. You're all that's left. The world is not going to tolerate Jesus. But Jesus is the only answer to this world. You understand that? It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. And so we're going to bear in our... Talk here.
closer and closer to these aspects where God's only answer is Jesus. Now, it's Jesus the world doesn't like. In fact, if we could preach a God without Christ, a lot of the world would accept Him. But it's Jesus they don't like. Because, you see, on the cross, they died. They get that part of the story. We look at the sinner and say, Christ died for your sins. They don't like that. That's not a good statement, Christ died for your sins. They died in Christ, whether they like it or not. Because when you say Christ died for your sins, that's like you have to accept it. You have to agree to it. No, sir. He died to your sin, whether you like it or not. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, He bursts in you the God-seed Christ, whether you like it or not. A Christian is not somebody that's left as a free moral agent to live any kind of religion they want to and claim Christ. No, sir. Christ is God's jewel. Christ is God's Son. Christ is God's everything. Jesus is the answer, not a part of the answer. He is the answer. I want you to get that. Because you don't have religion in you since you're saved. You don't have churchanity in you. You're no longer Baptist, Methodist, uh, Greek, Orthodox, Catholic, or Dutch Reformed, or anything. You're God's child. Get that fixed in your mind. He's there whether you admit it or not. He's there whether you like it or not. God's not going to turn around and say, well, I think this is a good thing for you to get into over here. It's not really too righteous, but if you get into it, it'll, it'll help you. I tell uh, guys in Alcoholic Anonymous, I talk to them, they... Uh, there are areas of that that have taken up our Paul book of all things and are teaching it to the alcoholics now uh, under Alcoholics Anonymous jurisdiction. But I tell them when I talk to them, I say, hey, you got Christ in you if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You better get straightened out as to who is this life. Who is your life? Who is your Lord? He's not somewhere sitting on a throne. He's in your life. He's trying to get on the throne of your life, and that's the hardest thing in the world for Him to do. He can go to heaven and sit on God's throne easier than He can sit on the throne of your life. Because you just got too many ideas about Him. Well, I want to erase everyone I can and get us right back to Christ Jesus. Just Jesus. I want you to know Him and understand Him. It's Jesus that lives in you. It's not Jesus of Nazareth. It's Jesus our Lord. He's the one that lives in you. I want you to get it. I want you to leave this meeting overwhelmed by Jesus. I don't want you to think any more about your life than you think about Jesus. Your first thought about you is Jesus. You've got a headache, your first thought should be Christ. You got a backache, your first thought should be Christ. You're not getting along on the job, your first thought should be Jesus. That's the real you. They don't know it. And if you don't know it, you're going to pay the price they put on you. But it's Jesus. That's the first thing about you. That's the most important thing about you. Christ in you is your hope of glory. We're going to talk about just Jesus. And I want to lay a foundation for it here. And I pray that the Lord will bless it.
What a glorious audience you are. What a great day this is just to have you in fellowship with us. How thankful I am that I ever got to know you. I could have lived a lifetime and never have come to South Africa and wouldn't have known the difference if God hadn't led me to South Africa. Thank God for you. Well, we'll stop here. You've just heard part number one of this brand new series with Warren Litzman called It's Jesus, Just Jesus. Now, as we said earlier, we played this longer, about an hour this time instead of the shorter podcast. So let us know how you feel about it. Let us know if you like it this way or if you don't. We want to make it just right for you. Now, don't forget to visit our website, christ-life.org. Read all about us. Go to the bookstore. Find some of this wonderful material that Warren left behind. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And Teresa Ferraro is our wonderful producer from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.